It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. In this episode, I've got new info about your employer spying on you. Also, good news on banking fees for a change. And of course, I'm going to answer your questions. So, there's this gap in America right now between where the boss's heads are and where the employees' heads are. We've got somewhere maybe a third of Americans who traditionally worked in some kind of office job where you went to a place to do your work. The pandemic opened a Pandora's box, and companies wanted to stay in business. They couldn't let workers come into the office in a lot of states. They didn't have workers come in pretty much anywhere else. And today, the number of people working in offices, most recent stats I saw, lower than it was three months ago that it was uh, pushing close to 40% of office workers had gone back to the office. Now it's back in low 30s again. And that happened because people thought the coast was clear. The Delta variant came along and people ran back home or employers told them to go back home. Where we have our podcast studio, we're in a broadcast facility that normally would have five, 600 people in this building, and now on a typical day, there are less than 100. I, I don't can't know even there's... believe there's that many. <laughs> oh, you know, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it's not 100. And it's a huge broadcast facility, and there's like nobody here, and this is just being repeated everywhere. Well, as I shared with you, bosses in surveys generally don't trust their workers. And then, Christy, you sent me this thing about this uh, banker guy who fired yeah. how many people by Zoom call? Better.com, 900 employees. And why did he fire them? He said they were stealing from the company by not working more than like two hours a day or so. Yeah, so who knows if the employees were, in fact, loafing on the job or not. The boss obviously thought they were. And this has been true at so many companies is they don't feel like they have control of you when you're working from home. And it's funny because workers have completely the opposite feeling that they're working more now from home than they were working when they were in the office. And it is true that in the office, there's a lot of distractions. A lot of time people spend chit-chatting. And a lot of time people spend in mind-numbing meetings all day long when you're physically together, you do miss a lot of the camaraderie. Like, I really miss that in our team, not being too. together like before. And I think you lose some of the magic of an organization when people aren't together regularly. So we've been trying to come up with activities we can do together to deal with that. But I digress because the real thing you should know is that if you have a computer from the company, you have a phone from the company, odds are pretty good they're spying on you and seeing what you're actually doing. And I'm going to recommend something now that you're going to maybe think I'm paranoid, but I'm not. Have a separate cell phone for personal 
than one issued from work. Do not do work stuff on that personal phone. I realize I'm bringing another bill into your life. Your employer may be paying for your cell phone. You feel like it's a benefit. I feel like it's a curse. Do you know I've never accepted a cell phone from any employer I've ever worked for? Because I know they could be spying on me. I don't want that. I don't want them to feel like I'm at their beck and call 24 hours a day. And a computer? My goodness, laptops have been so cheap lately. We've routinely had laptops on ClarkDeals.com for under $99, under $199. You get a really great laptop for like $300. Have one you do anything personal on, any social media, any personal emails, whatever, because if you're doing it on a company computer, even working remotely, they can spy on you, and let me tell you, they likely are, because the stunning thing is how cheap the surveillance software is now that employers are using to spy on you. You have, in my mind, a right to privacy when you're doing things that are personal, and you should have that second computer. Now, there is something that employers are freaked out about, and I'll just tell you. You know how around the country, morning rush hour in urban areas is much less than it was before the pandemic, and afternoon rush hours are now worse than they were before the pandemic. So what's been happening is there are enough people who are working from home, who decide after lunch, I'm going to go do this, or I'm going to go do that, go do the other, when they're really supposed to be on the clock for their employer. So there are people that are taking advantage. But I'd say that that's a relatively small number of people. But employers, a lot of bosses, are older, they're old school, and they're suspicious And they assume you're guilty till proven innocent. And that's why they're employing all this spyware. And just be aware and be wary. Remember, no personal activity on a work-issued laptop or a work-issued cell phone. Let's get to some questions. This is from Danny in Kentucky. My DoorDash driver crashed and dashed causing $800 of property damage. It has been over a month since we reported the damage to DoorDash. We are getting the runaround, being told it's being escalated from legal to insurance and now back to legal. After 10 phone calls, posting on social media, and we have spoken to several supervisors, I'm running out of options. What are my next steps? Danny, this is crazy ridiculous. and Crashed and dashed. (laughs) Crashed and dashed. Very clever phrase. And... What you should do is file suit in small claims court in Kentucky against the registered agent for DoorDash in the state of Kentucky. And uh, you filing, you can represent yourself. Filing a lawsuit will be very low cost. DoorDash will have to answer. And all this running around, they're just trying to wear you down and hope you go away. And unfortunately, the tool at your disposal is to use the legal system. You know, a lot of times I'll talk about with companies filing a complaint with the Better Business Bureau. I don't know that that works with uh, an app kind of service like DoorDash. So that's why I want you to go to small claims court, find out 
what the requirements are for you to file suit and file suit against DoorDash. They will have to answer. Uh, gosh, it's going to cost them more to answer the suit than the $800 they owe you. And they'll probably call you and say, uh, Danny, what's this about? What do you want? You'll say, I want my $800. And odds are you'll have it quicker than you might imagine. So please let me know if I gave you a bad path or one that actually closed the deal for you. This is from Carl in Georgia. I have a question about the 4% rule. Everyone says you can only withdraw 4% a year in retirement, but if I have a million dollars and it's earning 10%, why couldn't I withdraw 8% a year, never touch the principal, and still have over a million dollars in 30 years? Carl, great question. And the reason is, in, in fact, financial people have reduced the 4 lately down to 3.4%. Because we have had a period of time from uh, 2009 to today where returns on stocks have been way above normal levels and the value of stocks in the United States is extraordinarily high. So we're going to experience um, later in the 20s, maybe into the 30s, what's known as reversion to mean, where the returns will have to be much lower to bring us back to more normal values in stocks. So if you take 8% each year and the returns deteriorate and they go way down on average over the years, this isn't like where everything crashes and then you wait for a return. It just means returns can be sluggish for a number of years to get things back to more normal values. Nobody knows how long that takes, how long that plays, so taking 8% out based on what's happened over the last uh, virtually 13 years would be very, very dangerous to you being financially secure down the road. That's why the rule exists. And it's, and it's not like a rule in a rule book. It's a guideline that somewhere 4%, maybe a little less, is the right amount of your money to withdraw each year. From Terry in Indiana, what is the best fitness tracker watch for my 92-year-old father who needs to monitor his heart rate, blood pressure, oxygen levels, etc.? So if your uh, 92-year-old dad wears, uh, uses an iPhone, one of the new Apple watches that do extreme health tracking would be really great. They're expensive if you get a... Um, Apple 7, I think it's going to be mid-threes. I forgot exactly what those cost. But it's ultra easy to do all the health screenings with that. And so uh, the alternative is something people probably won't do. And how much are they, Christy, you're looking right now? 380 is what I'm seeing. 380? Okay. Um, is... You can buy individual devices that if your dad is a person of routine, he can uh, check his pulse ox every day in just a few seconds with a device that, depending on where you buy it, is 10 to $30. Uh, you can use a heart rate monitor that will be more accurate than what you're going to find. Uh, well, actually, heart rate monitors are accurate on most any of the trackers. But blood pressure, that's a different thing. And 
you're going to find that blood pressure is most accurately done with an inexpensive cuff. You can buy those for about 50 bucks for a really good one. And so this is really convenience versus cost. And whatever uh, ecosystem your dad lives in, like having an advanced Samsung watch, the Samsung Watch 4 tied in with a Samsung phone, or the Apple with the Apple Watch, those are the two best at being able to do extensive, um, constant checking of how your vitals are doing. There are things that are offered by both Fitbit and Garmin that do this stuff as well, but not as well from what I've read compared to Samsung or Apple. And I can't believe it. I have good news on the banking front. You don't get to hear that a lot. That's coming up. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So I know it seems from time to time like I have a grudge against traditional banks. No. And I do. And I do because the culture that runs through the banking industry is to figure out how to dig deep into people's wallets with gotchas. And that's why I'm so in love with all the new fintechs that are offering banking that people actually like and the online banks offering banking that people actually like. But the traditional banking business is too absorbed in how to mistreat their customers. And one of the things that has been a gripe of mine forever is the overdraft thing, where banks knowingly will approve something like a debit card transaction just so they can burn you with a massive overdraft fee. The funniest thing is there's a federal regulation that the bank has to get your permission to rip you off this way, that they have to get you to say, yeah, if I'm short of money and I'm using my debit card, please protect me is the way the banks word it. But it's really a con so they can approve transactions when they know you don't have money so they can charge you a massive fee for insufficient funds. In fact, this year, likely, the banks will have earned close to $20 billion on these rip-off charges. So... There's a lot of heat now on the banks for this behavior. And Capital One, which is not one of the giant monster mega banks, but one of the larger banks in the United States, recently announced they're eliminating 
the overdraft fees because they can read the political winds and they get it that this is an area that the big bad banks are really going to feel the heat. And it's an inexcusable thing because the banks try to pretend that they're doing this as a behavior mod. No, the banks want you. If you ever listen to them talk to financial analysts, they are so excited when they talk about, yeah, we got this much money from people in the last 90 days charging them these rip-off fees. They don't call them rip-off fees, but that's what I call them for overdraft. When the reality is most people would benefit from being told when they go to McDonald's and they use the debit card, no, you're declined rather than having indigestion later because the $5 meal ends up costing you $40 because of the overdraft fees. And the Giant Monster Megas, you know, they got away with it. You know, they all the crimes they committed during the banking scandals, seven, you know, 2007, eight, led to the worst recession we've had since the Great Depression and all the hardship on so many people all the foreclosures, all the terrible things that happened, and the people all involved in the criminal behavior, nobody went to prison. And so now they feel like, hey, we're invincible. We can just buy off the right members of the House and the Senate on the banking committees, and we can do whatever. Well, let me tell you, you think you can do that, but because of the new competition coming, don't just worry about the political wins. Because people coming up now, Maybe uh, people that are over 40 are too set in their ways and won't switch from the bricks-and-mortar banks that rip people off. But I'll tell you, the people coming up, they have no use for it. You know, it was funny. I was talking with my 22-year-old recently about going to a branch. It turned out she had never been in a bank branch in her life. Wow. Because she'd always done online banking and had never set foot in one. And there's no concept in her mind why you would ever do that. So I just got to tell you, if you want to keep ripping people off, go right ahead. But like the emperor tightening his grip, piece by piece, you lose that power. And if you are paying rotten, terrible junk fees to your bank, don't be a creature of habit. Go somewhere where they don't rip you off. Well, Evan in New Hampshire, unfortunately, may have gotten ripped off. (laughs) He says, you're like a sage uncle in our family, and ask Clark is a household phrase. I bought a Samsung dryer, and it died after 18 days. After spending about five years on the phone with the company, they are going to issue a full refund. That's that's great. great. The problem is that I'm growing weary of waiting and having wet clothes. What do you think about disputing the charge on my credit card? So, Evan, um, number one, I know you fought your battle with Samsung, where I would have encouraged you to have gone, if I'd heard from you earlier, is back to the retailer you bought the crummy for you Samsung washer from that the retailers are now so powerful, and that was who you were actually the customer of. Samsung, you were an indirect customer. And so I would go back to the retailer involved and get their help 
And that's a terrible experience that the washer did not deliver like it should have. And then Samsung, after the fact, definitely didn't deliver by your telling. And that's where the retailer is so key. Uh, If you dispute the charge, you're disputing that charge with the retailer, not with Samsung. So the retailer is going to be sore at you. Unless they are the retailer because they do sell direct to customer. Samsung Samsung sells direct? Mm -hmm. Washers and dryers? I know TVs and stuff. They do? I bought one from them. Wow. So you're both teaching me something. Buy now. Yep. Okay. I just learned something. So scratch everything I said. (laughs) If Samsung was who you bought from directly then, yes, dispute the charge with Samsung, with your credit card company. Dispute that charge with Samsung. And then it'll be pending you getting the credit that Samsung has promised. And then you've got the money to go buy replacement machine. And I'm really shocked. I didn't know you could do that. And I really encourage you to buy from a local retailer where you've got somebody who's accountable to you when you replace the Samsung. Robert in Washington says, I've been receiving texts the last couple of days with two-factor authentication codes that I did not originate. One was from my credit union, but I also but I called them immediately and they didn't see anyone trying to log into my account besides me. I've received others from unknown numbers. All of my financial stuff is locked down with two-factor authentication via text or authentication apps on my phone. I've checked my accounts and don't see any issues. What, if anything, should I do about this? It seems like it's happened too many times to be someone just mistakenly entering a wrong phone number. Yeah, it's not a wrong number. So let's look at the possibilities going on here. So the likeliest in this case is somebody has hacked into your email. And they're observing your patterns. They know where your accounts are. And they're trying to trick you with the two-factor authentications they're sending. It's not as likely what would normally be happening, which is someone has uh, cracked the username and password for various businesses that you're getting the two factors supposedly from, because if they see no trail that somebody has signed recently or attempted to sign recently into your account, it's more likely that your email has been compromised. So the first thing I would do is I would change the password on your email account so they're not grazing in your email anymore. They could also have uh, key loggers on your computer or they could have spyware on your cell phone. I want you to run um, an antivirus on your computer and I'd also like you to, depending on whether you're an iPhone or an Android. Android, there are third-party softwares you can use, like Lookout, that can scan to see if you have any malicious apps on your phone, anything bad going on on your phone that needs to be deleted and wiped. In the iPhone orbit, it could happen. There have been some rogue apps in the iPhone area, but not as likely. So I would start with those rabbit holes. And again, when you get into something like this where the MO 
is common, but the purpose of the MO, how they're trying to operate a theft operation is not always clear. You have to go down some rabbit holes, but the first automatically is change the password on your email and eliminate their access to seeing who you're getting emails from. Will in South Carolina says, my wife and I both have our credit files frozen with all three bureaus. Over the past two weeks, she has gotten two letters from U.S. Bank and Target Red Card saying that her application for the card was denied because of her credit freeze. We are happy that the freeze is working, but what else should we do now that it is obvious someone is trying to get credit in her name? You've already done it. I mean, if you didn't have the credit freeze in place, you would have had hard inquiries on your credit, and a crook may have gotten credit as if they're you, and then there's a whole mess for you to clean up. The great news is by having the credit freeze in place, you have prevented the damage, and odds are the criminals will move on to a next potential victim because you've already done the right things. And I I imagine that those attempts were probably pretty close together. They failed at them, and they're off to the next possible target. And I want to thank you so much for being part of Team Clark. If you have the time, I'd really appreciate it if you'd rate and review us. And I want to extend something to you that you may not have heard about before, an invitation for you to participate in our 31st year of Clark's Christmas Kids, where we collect your donations for children in foster care so they can have gifts Christmas morning. You can learn about the program, how it works, and we'd love a donation of any amount of money in this 31st year at clarkschristmaskids.com.